Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Daniel, we are back with the Eater Upsell. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you. Welcome to you. It's really good to be here, you know. Great. Uh, (laughs) My name is Amanda Clute. I'm the editor-in-chief of Eater. My name is Daniel Janine. I am a producer, and we make the Eater Upsell, a show where every week... We count down the biggest, the most important, the funniest stories in the food world and separate them with a sound of a ding like this. Okay, this week on the show, Daniel, we are going to talk about food halls and what happens when the fridge breaks. Ooh, what happens? uh, Wait wait and see. Wait and see. We're going to talk about the decline and fall of Dean and Toluca, an upscale grocer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to talk about a pretty crazy lawsuit. Pretty crazy lawsuit. A gaffe from a writer. In Texas. A little gaff. And so much more. So much more. Stay tuned. Before we get into it, I again want to plug the Eater Young Gun Summit coming up on July 27th mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, New York City. New announcement regarding the summit. Amy Sedaris is one of our headliners. Who's interviewing her? Me. Wow. Yeah. Jealous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is one of my favorite comedians. I love her surreal humor. Her show on True TV is so, so good. It's it's so funny. I, I can't get over it. So I'm going to try to get my shit together before this interview so I don't just, I don't know, fall over myself. Uh, also at the summit, we are going to preview some changes coming to this podcast. So if you live in New York... Get a ticket at 60 bucks and come on well, over like, to Brooklyn. Well, like, These tickets are $60. Yeah. And it is a criminal underpricing. Yep. Um, it's like a whole day of stuff. This isn't even me showing it off anymore. This is more You're directing angry. angry towards you. <laughs> because like all Business eater events, malpractice. They're, they're totally under, yep. yeah, they're way below what they should be mm-hmm. marked. Because it's not like, people see $60 and they're like, that's probably what a talk would cost, like an expensive sure. talk. Yeah. This is a whole day of stuff with like tastings, like past hors d'oeuvres and tastings from some of the, like New York's coolest restaurants. Yeah. Oh yeah. And cocktails and a party. And I would probably yeah. pay $60 if I didn't work here to come hang hang out with these people because I'd be like, who are you going to meet? Yeah. You know? Uh, me? <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Janine. No, no, Marcus no. Samuelson. Pretty Meastery. I mean, there's so much. There's so many. Amy Sedaris. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't even care about, the, I, I care about the celebrities, but I'm yeah. more interested in meeting the other people that would come to this thing. Yeah. Fellow guests. Fellow guests. Network. 
network the network shit it out of this. So uh, I'll, you know, I'll be there. Especially, you know, we're probably going to do something on stage. We'll tell a couple jokes. Who also, knows? Daniel's going to be at the help desk for a lot of the day. <laughs> don't blow my cover. Listen, <laughs> don't ask me wanna, for anything. If they want to find you, yeah. You'll be there. Uh, did you say most of the day? You asked me. You asked me <laughs> if I could do a shift. Is a shift now most of the day? I'm just trying to get people in the door. Okay, maybe there'll be a two-hour shift. We'll let you know. How long are these shifts? <laughs> it's an eight-hour shift. It's an eight. That's not a shift. That's that's a job. Okay, do some we'll, shifts. I'll pay you in Winson. Okay, cool. Uh, there'll be some merch. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, anyway, you're bonkers to, not to get these. Come tickets. to the thing. Uh, let's get to stories. Okay. Daniel, mm-hmm. have you heard about the upscale grocer chain Dean and DeLuca and how they are shutting many of their stores in the United States? Yeah, I read that this morning. Oh, this morning? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy, right? Crazy. Uh, seems sad. I don't know. What's your uh, What's your take? I don't have a take. I just think it's really interesting, uh, all the weird behind-the-scenes financial stuff that I didn't know about. Um, basically, this was a... It started as a small indie chain in the late 70s in Soho, New York City, Yeah, back when that neighborhood was all just like artist lofts. Uh, they were one of the first to stock really fancy foods and kind of like gourmet, I don't know, stuff yeah, like yeah, balsamic yeah. vinegar. Rare products, for sure. Rare products. Yeah. Uh, they expanded and expanded. They ended up all over the country. They had stores in Tokyo and the Middle East, and they were everywhere. Then they were bought in 2014 by Pace Development, which was a Thai real estate mm-hmm. group. And since then, shit has hit the fan <laughs> because the development group is having a liquidity crisis. Mm. Mm-hmm. So they they bought the chain for $140 million, and then they spent $100 million in the U.S. to try to bolster it. Mm-hmm. Um, but elsewhere in their por- portfolio, they're losing hundreds and millions of dollars. And I think it's hit this point where they just can't afford to keep things to going. Keep thing, to keep it alive. So now in the United States, there are going to be, I think as of this week, six stores left. Hmm. They used to have over 40 in the U.S. They had this fancy new concept in the meatpacking district in New York. Uh, where last week the mogul, the Thai mogul, told the New York Times that he's obsessed with it and he's keeping it open. And then this week he told them, actually, no, it's it's closing, but I'm committed to keeping the concept alive somehow. And it just seems like a total mess. Yeah. it's. I have an interesting experience with Dean and DeLuca because when I first moved to New York eight or nine years ago, I knew of it only as that insanely mm-hmm. expensive grocery store in Soho that I just thought was such a tourist trap. Yeah. You know, but digging into it a little bit more, like you find I found out that they were the first store to carry a lot of like exclusive products. They gave a lot of young distributors and young companies a chance. Mm-hmm. And at some point, like Jenny's ice cream, it was the first place in New York to carry Jenny's. So right. they have been um a, a display shelf, for lack of a better word, for a lot of cool up-and-coming brands. I think that's pretty credible. I mean, they've invested in some in some things that are not just cash-grabby, dumb Soho coffee shop for $7, like I kind of had it in my head that they were. Right. And like for a lot of these brands, it was a big deal to, to get, get chosen yeah. by Dean and DeLuca. And on the other end of it, now these are the ones in the New York Times piece who are 
complaining that they're owed tens of thousands of dollars. And when you're a small creative vendor, being owed tens of thousands of dollars can be, you know, life or death. Mm-hmm. They owe Bianqui fifty six thousand dollars. They own they owe Colson Patisserie twenty four thousand. Amy's bread fifty one thousand. Uh, Amy's cookies, uh, Carla from Eater New York reported that they were owed seventy one thousand dollars, and they make they make clothes because of the Dean and Deluca. So, yeah, it it, it reminds me of uh, just in terms of grocery stores doing a lot of buying. It reminds me I, I talk to people who have products and they cons- and they're considering selling them in in Whole Foods, and mm-hmm. they get the call. Some people get the call from Whole Foods like, "Hey, listen, we want to roll out your products for next year," and it's. I always think, holy shit, congratulations, that's awesome. That must mean the start of like a major right. turning point in your company. But it is, it's not always a guaranteed yes by these companies because what that means is they have to do crazy ramp up of production. Mm-hmm. And then if Whole Foods decides not to carry them, then they just have huge additional, uh, additional product and, and nowhere to really sell it. So it is sad and it is wild the relationship that these brands forge with a major mm-hmm. outpost and, cra- and crazy sad when it just goes down yeah because it takes it can take a lot of them uh, with them there's um, a funny line in the Times piece where it says the remaining outlets in the United States are increasingly stocked with coca-cola and Chobani yogurt instead of their <laughs> craft made equivalents <laughs> it's like once you see the Chobani and the yeah. Dean and Deluca then you know they're going downhill that's, that's the cockroaches <laughs> Daniel, yo, there's a food hall in Brooklyn called the Time Out Food Hall. Yeah, I've been. You've been? Yeah, I've been. Oh, cool. You want to know why? Why? Because I love food halls. I've... I'm always curious to see what they do. I, I, I'm also interested when they're branded. Time Out's branding. Time Out, pause. Time Out uh-huh. uh, is kind of known. You know, we see Time Out however we see Time Out. Free Subway magazine sure. kind of like declined over the years. Yep. Now is a little bit, I don't know, not pulpy, but a little bit like... I don't know, tab, foodie tabloidy a little. I don't know. Foodie tabloid. What are, what is Time Out now? I think you're you're right. But it's all but over the place and it's they huge. They have well, they have these food halls now. So I'm telling you about this Time Out food hall because their fridge is broke, and the Department of Health in New York City shut the entire thing down. And that's an interesting element I had never thought of before with food halls, which is just shared resources like a fridge. That is, that is so. They the entire thing is the sharing. The entire thing is shut down. A giant walk-in yeah. in the back. So it's not just like, oh, the Roberta's doesn't have pizza today, and the Roberta's is screwed. It's like every vendor, everyone is screwed. screwed. Interesting for two reasons. One, even without this, even if they're shutting down, they must get into that. Must be an awkward, tense thing. Because yeah, when even, someone steals your avocados or something. Even in one restaurant where everyone works together, fridge space is at a premium, Ooh. and people being like, "Yo, like garde manger, get the hell out of my fridge space." Yeah. So like, if it's if it's you know Clinton Street Bakery and like Pat Lafreda, you know, fighting over their their yeah. their mise en place, that's totally. gotta be tense. Second, especially if you have something stinky, something messy. You know what I first thought about when I heard this is like, if I had a vendetta against a food hall, which not impossible, mm-hmm, I think I could mm-hmm, go through my mm-hmm. life and stumble into a vendetta against a food hall. Uh, you sneak in the middle of the night and shut that friggin' fridge down, you f- sewer the, you ruin the entire place. Oh, yeah. So it's like a, it's an, it, that's the heart of the food hall. And, and like, uh, you cut that cord and the entire thing goes down like, like the Luke flying in and episode three to the Death Star and like firing the blaze, the beam at that one tiny little energy cube. Exactly. Exactly. I, <laughs> except that energy cube is a bunch of a tins fridge. of sardines. <laughs> I would take. <laughs> I got actually a text message to my personal phone yesterday from really? a vendor just yeah. saying like, 
lay off. <laughs> no, just saying, screw them. Right. They're lying to everyone and to us, and they're like, it's taking forever to reopen, and we're pissed. Who is lying? Like, I don't know, whoever's running the timeout food hall. <laughs> oh, my God. The... So there is some tension. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. It could be an epic collapse. So it's tough because they probably all have a bunch of prep stored in that. Just like, and it's hot outside. Imagine getting all that prep, bringing it to the vans. Some of them don't have second restaurants where they're going to be able mm-hmm. to store it. I don't know. Oof. It's hot. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot. Anyway. Uh, but, the, you know, they Just can all cool off about... at the uh, Soho House pool. I bet they're not invited. <laughs> Amanda, there was a, a, a story that was going around online, uh, courtesy of Texas Monthly, mm-hmm. uh, that our own Nadia Chaudhary called to attention on yep. Twitter. And mm-hmm. uh, we have her on the line right now, and she is going to uh, break it down for us. Nadia, how are you? Hi. Hey. I'm great. <laughs> so uh, what uh, what happened? So Texas Monthly, which is a very big deal publication in the state of Texas, obviously, wrote an exclusive feature on the opening of this big deal restaurant called Vixen's Wedding, which is a go-in Portuguese-inspired restaurant as part of the Arrive East Austin Hotel Mm -hmm. in East Austin, um, which opened last week. Um, So the original lead of the feature, I felt, was very dismissive, and I would also say ignorant, Mm. of Goa as an actual place where people are from and people live yeah. and understand. What was the uh, what was the lead? Okay, so the original lead, which I will say had been has been edited since then, reads as quote Let's face it, to most of us, quote Goa is a Scrabble word. Although, <laughs> if we reach into the dim memories of high school geography, we might recall that it has something to do with India dot 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 and Portugal. <laughs> Yikes. I'm Bangladeshi American. I read that lead and I'm offended immediately. Yeah. So the the author is the writer is assuming that no one from Goa or anyone with uh, any connection to Goa could possibly be reading this. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So one it's offensive because you're just saying that Goa is just a random scrabble word that like probably means nothing to you as a reader of Texas Monthly. And that's assuming a lot of your reader my issue with it is that, you know, it's fair to understand that, like, maybe maybe your readers don't know what Goa is or where Goa is or what the history of Goa is. But, like, I think it's our responsibility as food writers and food editors to respectfully explain what these things, these cultures, these regions, these cuisines are to our readers without othering them. Yeah. And that lead is completely othering Goa and Goins. I just want to say, yeah. Daniel, I don't know if you play Scrabble. Oh, yeah. You can't use Goa. That's a proper it's a word. Place, right? Yeah. You, right? When I tweeted this out, that was a big thing that people kept really? replying back <laughs> about. Yeah. It's yeah. funny because like, people, really Scrabble enthusiasts, were very annoyed about that. Like, no way could you play that word. <laughs> Actually, uh-huh. I think what they meant was crossword because it uh, is probably a, it is you a, could use it in a crossword. You could definitely use not it in a crossword. Scrabble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was bothering me. No, no, in please. addition to the the very serious issue. <laughs> but Nadia, these things happen, right? Like people make mistakes. Yeah, do you mistakes. see this a lot? Everyone can do better, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there are things that I've said that I've written that maybe looking back on, I maybe shouldn't have said it that specific way. Mm-hmm. Everyone can do better. Um, another big issue that I took with the Texas Monthly piece is that, you know, 
yes, there was a bit of outrage, I guess is the right word, um, over the lead. Friends and colleagues of mine have tweeted about it as well. And then they edited the lead to take out all of that Scrabble stuff and like the, you know, maybe from high school, whatever. Um, oh, and yeah, I forgot about the high school part. With, <laughs> yeah. And, and they acknowledged it with just a parenthesis saying that this lead, this introduction has been edited. Mm-hmm. Mm, but they didn't My say issue why. with that was that, you know, they didn't acknowledge what was originally incorrect or what was offensive about that lead. And just kind of brushed it off. And has Texas Monthly, have you heard anything from them? I know they replied on Twitter to actually a former Eater Austin editor Hmm. um, apologizing, saying, you know, that we agree that uh, this is quoting their tweet. We agree that this was the wrong approach to introducing the cuisine and takes away from the reporting of the dishes throughout the piece. We've changed the intro and appreciate you sharing your thoughts on it. Uh, The editor did reach out to me and we had a private conversation on the phone about it. And they were like, we realized it was a crossword thing, not a Scrabble thing. (laughs) (laughs) That should be the big apology. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a shame that there wasn't more of a public acknowledgement of what had happened, I think. Yeah. I mean, I I think it is a cool, as you said, it's a cool uh, opportunity for people to actually learn a little bit about what Goa means. Mm Mm-hmm. I was the one that originally reported on the restaurant from the very beginning. Yeah. You know, I did a lot of research on, you know, Goa and its history and, you know, the whole, it was a Portuguese colony for a very long time and what that means for its cuisine. And I think it's our jobs as reporters and editors and writers to really do our research as much as we can before we write about something. We have to throw in our own knowledge. Right. This goes to show why I think personally, it's not even personally, it's a general people of color editors and writers are important because they offer diverse views and knowledges that otherwise people might not be aware of as writers and editors. I'm sure Texas Monthly read this that original lead and didn't see anything wrong with it because to them it made sense. Yeah. Hey, well, anyway, it seems like a really interesting restaurant. I hope that uh, the press, I hope that this micro scandal doesn't bury out any buzz that the place was building. Thank you for the tweet and for talking about it. Um, Usually Texas Monthly does a pretty great job of what they do, so we'll hope that they can do better. Agreed. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Nadia. Thanks, Amanda. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent... You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Amanda, this is a small story, but I thought you would find it funny. Uh, I live close to St. Mark's, the iconic, legendary New York Street. Um, anyway, there was a coffee shop called Noble Tree Coffee that opened on the corner of St. Mark's. I found it notable when it opened because it the the aesthetic of it was definitely not St. Mark's. You know, St. Mark's is tattoo shops and weed shops, and now some some good actually Chinese and and, uh, and Taiwanese restaurants. But this coffee shop seemed like a financial, like kind of a uppity financial district coffee shop or like blue bottle vibe. Uh-huh. So I was like, I don't think this doesn't fit into me, but like, what do I know? And uh, I actually never tried the coffee there, but I walked by a bunch and uh, all of a sudden this place is shutting down. Five months in, it wow. shuts down. Wow. They put up a sign on their window saying, thank you for the support to Noble Tree Coffee. Because of the slow foot traffic at this location, we were forced to close. Please continue visiting our other locations at World Trade Center, Westfield Center. That, make, that makes sense. You know, that's a mm-hmm. uppity financial district. Uh, I never saw that. I've just seen this this blog post on Evie Grieve. What's funny about it is posted right underneath the note is another note from East Village residents saying, Noble Tree, please don't blame the neighborhood for slow foot traffic. Maybe it was your mediocre coffee Ooh. and bad service. <laughs> Ouch. Sincerely, East Village residents. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Do you love it? Yes. Because also this I'm looking at a photo of it that's on Evie Grieve, a neighborhood blog, and they it's not just scrawled on there by someone who's angry and walking by. No. The person oh, obviously read it, went home, <laughs> wrote this note up on their computer, printed it out. Yeah. Cut it out because it's small. Cut it out, got some tape. <laughs> Went there, taped it <laughs> yeah. to the bottom. Yeah. It's so awesome. <laughs> it's just like, it, you know, the, the East Village to me is, especially around there, like the tension, I'm sure, between St. Mark's and the people who have just been living there forever. Yeah. East Village are kind of like, to me, I see them as a little bit of the standard East Villager as kind of a, certainly the old school ones, mm-hmm. kind of a curmudgeon and... This just sure. absolutely well, plays into and that. And if they've been there for a while, I'm assuming the type of person who would tape this note up, they've seen all kinds of things come and go. Yeah. They see, especially in that strip, like they see places come and go every year. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. This is not a location issue. This is a you issue. Also from Noble Tree Coffee, yeah, it's a, it's a you issue. I, I just can't, I can't imagine there's ever a reason to blame anyone else. What, they're not even really. They're saying slow foot traffic. But like, there's only one thing you need to write with this note, and it is, thank you so much for your patronage. Please find us. Like, yeah, we are don't closing. get defensive about Please it. Please find Just us at like, our other location. This is closing. Here's where you can find us if you really love us. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> anyway. Ding ding. Okay, Daniel. There is a somewhat shocking, I think, story this week about. Multiple fast food chains that are reportedly trialing license plate recognition systems for their drive-throughs. Yeah, 
And this caught this, this people were going crazy about this. You mean like online? Yeah. Freaking out? People were freaking out. I'm a little freaked out. Are by you freaked it. out? I'm a little freaked out. Tim Forrester on our team wrote the the headline. Would you like a side of surveillance with that? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you know, people that are uh, people that don't want their rights and privacy violated are super angry. Yep. Well, it, I think the timing isn't great because, especially in America right now, we're talking a lot about surveillance. Uh, yep. There was a recent story about how ICE is using DMV records to use to compile face recognition mm-hmm. and figure out who you are and where you are. And I think having McDonald's also tracking your license plate, adding on to that, is yeah. just like. It's a touch too much. I guess the only reason that this doesn't phase me is because it seems like something they could have done 10 years ago. Well, should we talk about why they're doing it and what it actually is? They're doing it so that they can build a preference profile for all their customers. Right. So ideally, you would go up to the drive-thru because you've been there so many times before. They recognize your license plate and they're like, oh, Daniel Janine, double Mm -hmm. cheeseburger and a Coke. Mm -hmm. Here you go. Right? And also maybe if I have an allergy or, you know. Things like that. I, don't I think know. one thing that's important to say is that you would have to opt into the system, mm-hmm. I think. According to early reports. According to early reports. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, it's still, uh, that doesn't really I just think, like, make this, me feel more comfortable with the fact that they're doing it. Does this feel 2019 to you at all? Like, 2019 to me feels like there's a bug in my fries that's going to tell me at the what speed do I eat them so that it can, it can, take data back and maybe they'll change their oil to last three hours instead of two hours. I don't think that license plate number uh, capturing feels like feels even close to as invasive as anything else maybe that is happening I don't right want now. McDonald's to know who that's I am. That's where it comes in. Or that's, anyone to know where I'm dining. The thing is, though, everyone knows where you're dining. The, the you know the powers the real powers out there the real watchtowers right, right. you're being tracked at all times anyway the real watchtowers also know but what you order from a, McDonald's like, nihilistic look right like, so it's well, like well everyone's you know big, you're right, the you're big right. brother is looking at you anyway might as well just let McDonald's why not let little brother know what why you order why not opt into their program where they track your every move and know <laughs> how many fries you ordered this year it's fine. <laughs> But it, I guess it does. It does bring up an interesting question of surveillance. Like, I don't mean to look at it in such a nihilistic sense, but if you accept that we are being constantly watched, and it's not like someone is there watching us, just that everything is recorded, mm-hmm. then why bother fight a minor version of that? Why bother fight someone who is like, I don't know, if the if the if the MTA wants to track what time we typically use the subway and it's like, don't that's my data or whatever, you know, at the well at the same time someone else knows everything. Like what's the point? But I think it is important. You're but, saying it well, is important. Let's not pile it on. Let's not pile it on. Yeah. I mean, I saw something online uh, talking about Duff Goldman and how heartwarming a thing he did was. This is the Ace of Cakes guy. This is the Ace of Cakes. Charm City Cakes. Charm City Cakes, one of the most famous cake makers. He makes the cakes that look like other things. Makes the cakes that look like other things. That guy. A field that I don't entirely understand. Don't love it. I'm willing to be pushed back on this, but I think that all culinary development and innovation should be used to making things more interesting tasting, both texturally and flavor wise. Mm-hmm. That said, he seems like the most and all by all accounts is the most one of the most kind and wonderful people in the in the famous food world. Could be. 
So, so I have in this document, I have an Instagram post that he put up that was described as one of the most heartwarming acts. Um, this came up when a five or eight year old boy passed him this note that you're about to see and he put it on the internet. So if you could read it out. Okay, it says, Duff, thank you for making, what is that? Baking. baking. Oh, thank you for making baking cool for boys. <laughs> I think that's sweet. <laughs> you don't like it? What? I just don't think baking is uncool for boys. <laughs> and I just think I this think kid's there is mindset a, is strange. There is a large section of the world that thinks boys shouldn't be baking. Yeah. I, think. I don't think not they're violent our, about that. Not in our bubble. I bet there's a lot of subtle shit that boys get where it's like, no, baking's the girls thing. Yeah. Or like girls make cupcakes, not you. Yeah. Where if like a little boy says to his dad, like, I want to make a bunch of cupcakes. The dad could be like, why don't you come get outside with me? Right. Play some sports. Right. Like that seems so reductive and stereotypical, but mm-hmm. I do think it happens. I think it's real. Okay, so you think that there is some, this is a kind, anyway, Duff responded, I think it's cute. walked into, <laughs> you think it's cute, walked into, how would you feel, you have a, uh, how old is, is your son now? He's My son is three. Three. Um, this Caleb who wrote this note is five. Yeah. Would you support your son's baking endeavors? Of course, of course, but. <laughs> you are the worst person I'm to the, ask. Yeah, I'm yeah. like wildly progressive and I live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, of course, like he better bake. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like yeah. he will he not. He better be, not play sports. No, right? he is one hundred percent not allowed to play football. Like yeah. no chance. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. maybe that's it. There's two. Yeah, there's two kinds of parents: football <laughs> parents, baking parents. Yeah. Will your boy be a baker? Or a football Duff player? responded. Walked into Duff Cake Mix this morning and got handed this. Thanks, Caleb. Baking is cool for literally everybody. That's right. Thanks, Duff. So, your opinion of Duff? Going north, going south, staying where it is. Love Duff. Daniel, there's an interesting lawsuit I think we should discuss. I love a lawsuit. Buckle up. You mm-hmm. love a lawsuit? Buckle up. So a former employee is suing Gramercy Tavern in New York City because they were asked to wear a uniform that was male-specific, and this employee identifies as gender non-specific. Mm-hmm. So I think this is interesting because I've noticed this in restaurants for so long where you have a female waitress wearing a tie and a vest. And it's like, guys, couldn't you come up with something better? Like, mm-hmm. why do they have to wear a tie if they don't want to wear a tie? I mean, maybe they do, but it's just, the uniforms just seem silly in so many circumstances. But that is not the same concern. That no, Your no, concern no. there is that everyone's wearing the same thing. My concern was that they, they tried to, that they're making this male outfit and having everybody wear it. That's different than what this is, which is they had to wear a tie and a suit jacket as like the boys' uniform. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a gender non-specific outfit that they could wear. So, And they got in trouble whenever they wouldn't wear a tie. I mean, I just think this is probably a sign of things to come. That yeah. uh, it's a very, it's an, it's an absolute softball for restaurants to just offer multiple uh, mm-hmm. uniform options. I think one takeaway is that having, that, that uniforms should be pretty neutral. Yeah. Have lots of options for a variety of people or no uniform? What do you think? Are there have you ever been to like a super, super high end place? Without a uniform? Yeah. It's awkward. It's awkward? I think so. 
Yeah. I mean, unless everyone's wearing, wearing gray or something. I mean, how do you feel about... Where w- everyone wears... Yeah, a certain shade green. or something like that. Sure. Um, I've noticed that at some really nice places where people just wear like beautiful shades of green. Um, and it's usually they had some expensive tailor make it all for them. Yeah. But I'm not against it. I mean, I feel like when you reach the echelons of fi- hyper fine dining... Uh, where every detail has to be is is mulled over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that a uniform is appropriate in those circumstances, but it's very easy to make gender non-conforming uh, uniforms. Like, yeah, and yeah, just yeah. like it's or just give people all the options. Like here's the array, choose whatever you want. Yeah, you want to wear the tie, wear the tie. You don't wear the tie, fine. Have you been to any restaurants with uh, with <laughs> with silly uniforms? There was this restaurant, I believe it's closed now, called Lake Turtle in the Lower East <laughs> in the Lower East Side, where everyone, I swear to God, wore like brown potato sacks. They were like the <laughs> hippest thing I've ever seen. They looked awful. I know that whenever the uniform is plaid shirts, mm-hmm. it drives me nuts because, like, because my... they look like tablecloths. No, because like usually like. I'm wearing a plaid shirt or uh, like someone I'm with is wearing it's like don't pick something that's too close to what many people wear because mm-hmm. then you're like oh god someone's gonna think I'm waitress if only here. they had your license plate information they would know that you were a frequent plaid shirt wearer and then they would switch <laughs> the I guess it is interesting like in what hospitality is a unique field where they have uniforms like I'm thinking about what's a fancy thing like a car, a fancy car dealership or something. Like they wouldn't have a uniform. There's <laughs> fancy car dealership. I'm just saying, like, I'm just, it's it's a very theatrical element that still that still remains in the hospitality world that that doesn't carry over. I mean, in hotels, I guess people mm-hmm. would have uniforms. Mm-hmm. Airlines. <laughs> Airlines. I'm surprised we haven't. I'm sure there are some lawsuits out there. Ooh, for yeah. Some, I mean, there were back in the day because they would always make women wear. Skirts, yeah, and skirts of a certain length, and they used to have um, flight attendants weigh in. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Weigh in on the outfit choices. Weigh in on a scale, yeah. so that they so no. Jesus, I mean, they people. weigh the bags. <laughs> you got the scales there already. Anyway, Daniel, yo, something for restaurants to be thinking about. Daniel, we did it. We went through all our stories. One thing I want to add. If you have a funny restaurant story or if you have any complaints about customers that ask for weird, weird stuff, mm. tell us at mm-hmm. upsellereater.com because we want to hear about them. Let and us maybe, know. maybe even share them on the air. Oh, we will share them on the air. We will. We will. If you send a weird thing, if you send an email titled weird thing, uh-huh. I'm pretty 99% sure 99%. We will, we'll share it on the air. Not 100% though because you, you never know. Uh, send us some feedback. Send us some thoughts. Yep. Want us to talk about anything? Let us know. Thank you for listening. Oh, yeah. This show is produced by Martha Daniel, our mm-hmm. wonderful producer. It is hosted by me, Amanda Clute, you, Daniel Janine. Hell yeah. And it's that's it. It's a three-person team now. Yeah. Yeah. We're at this rate. We'll be four by next year. Anyway, thanks for listening. We love you all. Talk to you next week. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking. From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. 